Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. I suppose that all of us coming to church this morning notice that it's getting into the winter season because it's still rather dark, and unusually so on this Sunday morning at 8 o'clock, but I hope that we are all glad that we have come and that we will rejoice in worshiping our Lord. As you have heard me mention, today is the 20th Sunday after Trinity. Now in the ancient Christian church on this Sunday, the epistle lesson that was read was taken out of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And if you recall that Paul, on his third missionary journey, came to Ephesus and Asia Minor, he spent three years there and established a very flourishing Christian congregation. Later, when he was in jail in Rome, he wrote this letter to this Christian congregation. And in this particular epistle lesson, which will be read today in hundreds of thousands of liturgical Christian churches throughout the world, here Paul writes to them and he says, Listen, Ephesian Christians, Will you say to it that you walk circumspectly? Will you be wise and not be foolish? Will you see that in your Christian lives you walk circumspectly, you walk accurately, that you walk perfectly? We find Paul calling to them and saying, Will you do this? Will you strive in your Christian life for perfection? Will you strive to do God's will of right as perfectly as Christ did it? Will you strive in your life to see that it's going to be better than a good life, that it's going to be nothing less than the best? Will you strive after perfection in your Christian life? Will you be wise? Don't be a fool. And today, as Paul, by the word of God and by the inspired scripture, turns to you and me as Christians, he says to you and to me this morning, see then that ye walk circumspectly. Will you be wise and not foolish? Will you watch that in your Christian life that you will strive for perfection, that you will not be satisfied with ordinary Christian living? In other words, Paul says, will you see to it that you will do God's will as Christ did it perfectly? Will you see that your life is better than good? Will you see to it that you will always aim to hit the center of the bullseye, never the edge of the bullseye as regards God's standard of right? Will you strive in your life always to hit the center of the bull's eye of God's right? Never be satisfied with hitting the edge or riding the rim. You know, that may rather surprise you and me. We may say, well, I hardly feel that that's being wise and that I'm a fool if I don't, that I am to strive for perfection in my life, to strive to do God's will as Christ did it perfectly, that I should not be satisfied with ordinary, everyday Christian living, but I should aim for perfection and therefore I should ever aim to hit the center of the bullseye of God's will and never the edge. And we may say, I don't think that that's so important because after all, even if you hit the edge of the bullseye, you're still hitting the bullseye, aren't you? Well, what's the difference then? Why should I strive for perfection? Why should I try to walk circumspectly, accurately, perfectly? We may say to ourselves, as long as mine is the everyday Christian life, I don't see why 
I should ever call myself a fool unless I turn and I seek after perfection. And yet Paul would say to you and to me in our Christian life, when he calls and says, will you strive after perfection and not be satisfied with an ordinary Christian life? And all because of this, Paul says, aim to hit the center of the bullseye, never the edge. Because Paul warns and says, when you ride the rim and the edge, when you are riding the peripheral of the Christian life, Paul says, I warn you, it's very dangerous. You are liable to lose Christ you are liable to lose your eternal salvation. Well, that may rather surprise us too, and we may say, well, I've always thought that as long as I live an ordinary, everyday, run-of-the-mill Christian life, that again, it's still hitting the bullseye, as it were. I don't see why I should strive after perfection. I don't see any danger. And yet Paul says, will you be wise and not be a fool? Will you strive after perfection? We may look this morning, why is it dangerous to ride the edge? Why is it dangerous in your Christian life and mine to be on the peripheral and not aim at the center of the bullseye of God's standard of riding? Paul reminds you and me in the first place that again, when we ride the rim and the edge of God's standard and right, that means this, that we are actually refusing to allow the Holy Spirit to keep alive in us the real demand of God's law. Supposing you and I say, I'm not trying to be perfect, and I don't think that that's so necessary. I don't care whether in my Christian life I hit the center of the bullseye as regards God's right. As long as I stay within the edge, that's all that's necessary. But do we realize when we say this is the aim of our life that we are really being a fool? What we are doing, we are telling the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I don't want to keep alive in my heart just what God's demand is as regards the law. Look at Jesus Christ. What did he have to say about the law? You and I say we are saved in Jesus Christ, and therefore what is the demand of God's Ten Commandments on me? Christ said this one day when someone asked him, what's the great one? He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. He said, you've got to give God your best. This is what the law demands. I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And Christ walked just that way. It was a perfect fulfillment of the law of God. The demand of God is nothing less than perfection, even as you and I are saved in Jesus Christ. But when we say, I'm not interested in hitting the center of the bullseye of God's right, as long as I can ride the rim, as long as I can ride the edge, what happens? It's a tremendously dangerous thing because it isn't very long before we look at God's law and we forget that God says, I want perfection. I am the Almighty God. God says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. I want perfection. God says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I want nothing less than perfection. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God's demand is perfection, son. That's what I want. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. I want nothing less than perfection. Thou shalt not kill, nothing less than perfection. Thou shalt not commit adultery, nothing less than protection than actually perfection. God says, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet the neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet the neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant. God says, I want nothing less than perfection. I want your best. 
But when you and I in our Christian life say, I don't care as long as mine is just the average, humdrum, everyday Christian life, I'm going to ride the edge, we lose. And we don't allow the Holy Spirit to keep alive in us what God wants, and that's perfection. And then there is this tremendous danger. We say to ourselves, God doesn't care how I live. As long as I'm saved through faith in Jesus Christ, God isn't concerned about my Christian life. He doesn't care whether I aim for the center of the bullseye of his will. As long as I ride the edge, that's all that God cares about. And oh, what a dangerous position for you and me if our life is just going to be an everyday Christian life. It's the danger that when we say, God doesn't care, we can say, well, if God wanted me to be Christ, why didn't he create me Christ? If he wanted me to be an angel, why didn't he make me an angel? And there comes the tremendous danger that we kick over the edge and we go into deliberate sin and we lose our eternal welfare. Paul warned the Ephesian Christians, he said, watch out for drunkenness. That was sort of a besetting sin in his day. And Paul looks at you and me and Paul says, remember, you watch out when you say and you ride the rim that God doesn't really care and when God doesn't really care, then we can say, I can deliberately sin. After all, God doesn't care how I live. You may say this morning, I may say, well, there's no danger that I'm going to fall into immorality and drunkenness and incest. But have you ever asked this question if you and I are riding the rim, just living an ordinary Christian life? Have we ever said to ourselves, what's the most dangerous thing that happens? You know what it is? Oh, again, it may not be immorality and incest and drunkenness and dope. It may not be any of those things. The most dangerous thing is this, despising God's word. Do you realize today, Christian friend, that if every member of this church decided to come to church today on this Sunday, we couldn't hold them? And do you realize that that's true in about every church in this city and in the nation? How many churches could hold all of its membership? And you may say, why? Because somehow or other, Christians have decided I don't have to be perfect in my life and strive for it as long as I ride the edge. And whenever you and I ride the edge and forget the demand of God's law, that God says, listen, don't be a fool, be wise. I want perfection. One of the first places it shows is despising the word of God. How many Christians are lost, are damned, because they despise the assembling of themselves together? Because you miss it three Sundays in a row, and it can be gone forever. It's dangerous, because when we ride the rim of God's rule of right, then we have dimmed within us the real demand of God's law in our Christian life. And it's nothing less than perfection. Therefore, we ought to say to ourselves, when Paul calls and says, Christians, will you see to it that you walk circumspectly, that you walk accurately, that you walk perfectly? But we ought to say to ourselves, uh, this is the only thing that I can do if I'm going to be wise. I'm not going to be a fool. And then we ought to say to ourselves, I'm going to determine to walk just that way, to determine to hit that bullseye in the center and not on the edge in my life because we ought to say to ourselves, that's the least that I can do in view of what Christ has done for me. Paul never got over what Christ did for him. 
Paul the persecutor, Paul the killer of Christians, and when he realized that God's Son came out of the ivory palaces and came into the world and penetrated into humanity and became a human being, was born of the Virgin Mary without sin, and went to Calvary's cross and bore the guilt and the punishment of the world's sin, bore hell for men, Paul never got over that in life. And he realized the very least that he could do in his Christian life was aim for the very best. Nothing was too good in the Christian life to try to keep the will of God as perfectly as Christ did it. And when you and I say the least that I can do in my Christian life being saved by him, that by my faith in him that I am delivered from hell and I shall spend an eternity with him, the very least I can do in my Christian life is to strive for perfection, to aim to hit the center of the bullseye, never the edge, never be satisfied with the edge. And then and only then there comes this comfort that we're not running the risk of losing our soul. Paul didn't want this risk at any time. Remember he said one day that the most tragic thing that could happen to him was that he said, while I have preached Jesus Christ to others, that I myself should be a castaway. Paul said, oh, to God, that that could never happen, that I could point men to Christ and to eternal life, and that I, through my living, failing to give God my best, that at the end of life's way, when Christ comes, that I should be a castaway. To be a fool means this, that we say in our life, what do I care how I live? I'm a Christian, but I don't intend to aim and strive for perfection. I don't care whether I hit the center of the bullseye of God's will as long as I can stay within the edge and I can ride the rim. Everything is all right. But Paul says it's dangerous. It is most dangerous. It is horribly dangerous. Why? Because he reminds us of this in the second place that when you and I say I'm not going to walk circumspectly or accurately, when we say I'm going to be satisfied with just an ordinary, everyday, common, run-of-the-mill Christian life, I don't feel that I've got to strive that in my life I will always hit the center of the bullseye. I'm going to ride the edge. That's good enough for me. Paul says that when that's the standard in your life and mine, that it's very dangerous and we may lose our soul because it means this. That it means that we are simply refusing to allow the Holy Spirit to keep alive within us. And not only the great demand of God's law of life, but also the great meaning of God's law of life. Just what does God's law mean? When I say God, I'm not going to strive after perfection. I'm going to be satisfied just riding the rim and the edge and the periphery. I am saying to the Holy Spirit, uh, I'm not too interested in just what is right and what is wrong. And have you ever realized what confusion arises when in our minds we say, what is right? What is wrong? Christ never had that problem, did he? Even with regard to the ceremonial law, Christ knew that the law was God's standard of right and wrong, that it was absolute, that it was absolutely unchanging. And today, when we ride the rim, young folks, what happens? Confusion. When is it right? When I ride the edge, how close do you get to the edge before right becomes wrong? That bothers, doesn't it? And we say, when am I on the edge? And when am I still a child of God in grace? And when am I not a child of God? 
there is that mark, that demarcation mark between right and wrong. And oh, how confused we get when we're riding the rim. Isn't that right? Whenever we're right on the edge, we say, well, now, is this right or is this not right? And not only amongst individuals, but even in the clergy. When one young lady came home from Bible camp and she had been told by a pastor that as long as she loved the boy, it was all right to be intimate. I wonder where God's standard of right ever says that when God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Confused thinking comes. This is God's law. What makes it right is because God says this is right. And God says this is wrong. And what pleases God is right and what displeases him is wrong. And that's absolute. That does not vary. Even though today in situational ethics men are saying that each one decides for himself what is right and what is wrong. And when we become a fool and we say, I'm not going to strive to hit the center of the bullseye of God's will of right, but I'm going to ride the edge, then confusion comes. And we say, I don't know whether this thing is right or wrong. I don't know where I'm at. And there is a horrible danger that we say, I think God's confused too. I don't think God knows what is right either. Well, then you and I are wide open, aren't we? That when temptation comes to fall into sin, to lose Jesus Christ and all the time think that we still have him. If your life and mind is going to be the average run-of-the-mind Christian life, and we're going to say, I'm not interested in hitting the center of the bullseye of God's right, I'm going to ride the edge. If that's going to be it, it's a tremendously dangerous thing because when temptation comes and we're confused and we think God is confused, it's so easy to cross the edge and to say, oh, I think this is all right. There isn't any standard of right and wrong. I still think I'm a child of God and become the greatest fool in the world, deluding ourselves into thinking we're saved when we know that we're lost that we have lost Jesus Christ because God's standard of morality of right and wrong is not a relative thing. It stands, and what is wrong today will be wrong throughout all eternity, and what is right today in the sight of God will be right throughout all eternity. It's dangerous. No wonder Paul said to the Ephesians, be wise, don't be foolish. Remember this, live life again, the finest, the very fine, nothing but the best. Fulfill God's will as Christ did it in perfection. Always in your life, aim to the center of the bullseye, never to the edge. It's confusion. And again, it leads to losing grace, falling from a saved relationship with Jesus Christ and deluding yourselves into thinking you're saved when you're not. It ought to mean this then in our life, we may say, well, I don't want to be a fool. I want to be wise. And therefore, I must do this. If I'm going to strive for perfection, if I'm going to realize that God wants my life to be better than good, nothing less than to aim and strive and to seek perfection, to always aim at the center of the bullseye, never at the edge. If we determine to do that, then we ought to say this morning, this is going to be the day in my life when I'm stopping riding the edge. And if you and I could say that this morning, oh, how wonderful life could become. 
isn't half the trouble in your Christian life and mine when we write up against a question of spiritual nature that we've got to decide that we haggle and we he and we haul and we say, what is the thing to do? Do you notice the peace that Christ had? Christ had a tremendous understanding of the knowledge of the will of God. When he was tempted of Satan and Satan said to him, remember after Jesus had hungered for 40 days and 40 nights, and Satan, knowing that he was hungry, tempted him and said, if you are the Son of God, if you're really what you think you are, if you are the Savior that came into the world, then prove it. Let's see you turn these stones into bread. Yet Jesus stand there and haggle and say, now wait a minute, I am hungry. I wonder, would it be right for me to turn these stones into bread? Would it be right, therefore, to show this Satan that I am the Son of God? Isn't that what I ought to do? Yet he stand there and hesitate and haggle and become confused. Right away it was answered to obey Satan is wrong, it's wrong, no. There wasn't any question. Man doesn't live by bread alone, he told him. It's wrong. When Satan put him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, Jump down, God will give his angels charge concerning you. Did Christ have to stand and go through all the throes of doubt and say, Now do I or don't I? It's wrong to obey. It's wrong. That's all. It's done. I don't live like that. Bow down and worship me and you can have all the kings of the world. The answer was no. It's done. When in your life and mine, we stop riding the rim or the edge or the peripheral. We stop saying, so how close can I get to the borderline? When we stop it once and for all and we say to ourselves, no more living on the edge, then comes peace of mind. And you may say, what does peace of mind mean? Well, that's the blessing of blessing in life, isn't it? How many people lack peace of mind? Christians people because they're riding the rim because they're so confused that they haven't any standard left of what's right and what's wrong and a guilty conscience is it any wonder that our mental hospitals can't keep up with the number of patients and most psychiatrists tell us that those that are occupying those beds for the most part have a guilty conscience it's dangerous when in your life and mine we say, I'm going to live a Christian life, but it's just sort of going to be just an everyday common Christian life. I'm not going to strive for perfection. But Paul calls, as he called to the Ephesians, see then, Christians, that you walk circumspectly, you walk accurately, you walk perfectly. And we may say, well, what's the difference in life? I'm a Christian whether I aim for the center of the bulls. I have God's right or whether I ride the edge. After all, it's all bulls. I live. It's all Christian living. Yes, all right. But Paul says, be wise. Don't be a fool. And we say, what's so dangerous about riding the edge? Paul said it's this, that not only do we refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to keep alive in us, again, the great demand of what the law is and the great meaning of it, but we refuse to allow the Holy Spirit also to keep alive in us. A true love of doing God's will. When we ride the edge, we're saying to God in so many words, God, the reason why I'm riding the edge and the reason why I'm not trying to be perfect is because, God, 
Uh, there isn't any fun in getting that halo on too tight. When you get the halo on too tight, God, it must be miserable. We're scared to death. We're going to miss some joy in what we're saying to God. God, really, the only joy in life is riding the edge and just getting just as close to the border of wrong as you can get that you can smell it, but just to stay away for an infinitesimal fraction of a millionth inch. Just don't quite go, but run it to the very edge. But stay here. That's the only joy we get. That's what we're saying. We're saying to the Holy Spirit, we don't want you to keep alive in us the true love of doing God's will. Rather strange. And yet we look at Christ and we say, what? Can we forget this? He was the happiest person that ever lived. And yet he kept God's will perfectly. That, that comes as a shock to us sometimes. You talk about the angels who do God's will perfectly in heaven. When the word of God talks about 10,000 times 10,000 angels, 100 million angels who exercise their free will and remain faithful and did not fall like Satan, do you mean to tell me that 100 million angels Remaining faithful, don't find any joy in heaven. Funny that there hasn't been any secession of angels since Satan in the fall. Funny the other ones are remaining faithful. Something warped in your noggin and mind, isn't there? There's something wrong. That the only joy is riding the edge to the very closest of wrong. And we're saying to the Holy Spirit, I don't want you to keep alive in my heart uh, that loving to do God's will is joy. And yet, what is heaven? Heaven is the place where we do God's will perfectly. That's heaven. Heaven is holiness. That's absolute joy in God's house, in the eternal mansions. And it's mighty dangerous in your Christian life and mind if we say, mine's just the ordinary run-of-the-mill, run-of-the-mind, the common Christian life. I'm riding the edge. And that means that what we're saying to God is, God, you know, God, I don't think you're too happy in heaven. I think even you envy us occasionally. And when that thought comes in your mind and mind, brother, we're wide open with a sitting duck in order to fall out of grace and to throw ourselves into deliberate sin and to feel that it'll more than compensate even if our soul is lost forever. Now that can come in your life and mine when we become a fool and when we say, I'm not trying to hit the center of the bullseye. I'm just riding the periphery. I'm just on the edge. And Paul says, don't be a fool. Paul says, why don't you be a wise man? Why don't you strive for perfection? Never be satisfied with an ordinary Christian life. Strive to do God's will just as perfectly as Christ did. Nothing but the best. Let it be better than good. Paul says it's dangerous. It's horrible. You can lose your own soul. And that ought to mean then, if we are convinced and say, there's only one way to live a Christian life, and that's to live the best one, to walk circumspectly, to walk accurately, to walk perfectly. And if you and I would determine to do that, then we would say, as Paul said, we will seize every opportunity starting today because the world is wicked. We would seize every opportunity to go out and to say, what would Christ do and I want to do God's will perfectly? What is God's will in this dangerous age? 
We say to ourselves, what's ailing the world? And we talk about racism, don't we, this morning? What is Christ's will and how can I do God's will perfectly if I want to hit the very center of the bullseye? Then I say to myself that I shall treat every man, regardless of the color of his skin, as a precious child of God, blood-bought in Jesus Christ, my equal in the sight of God. This is God's will. This is the way Christ treated men. When I talk about poverty, that means that when a man is hungry, because he is therefore a child of God, I'll feed him an opportunity. It looks like a small thing, but the Red Cross is saying, you've got some friends in need who have been, again, devastated by a hurricane. It's a small matter, but we say this more. What is God's will? What would Christ do? Is there any question about it? Then we say, not only with regard to racism or poverty or Vietnam, what would Christ do? What is God's will? And then as Christians, we say to ourselves, what can I do to bring an honorable and a just peace without violating the laws of my country, without being lawless myself? This is the Christian way. And then there comes this comfort and this joy that when we have decided that we're going to aim in every case in our Christian life to hit the center of the bullseye there comes then this joy and this comfort that we'll be able to thank God always for everything that comes in spite of all the adversities and we'll be able to walk the glory road and sing our melodies and our praises having a song in our heart Paul learned this that when he strove for perfection, that it didn't matter to him what adversities came, Paul said, I learned then that because I had the assurance that Christ was mine, that I could thank him in every occasion for all things, even the adversities. Remember the night that Paul and Silas were in the inner dungeon up in Philippi? They had been scourged and they hadn't been blocked in the dungeon and it was dark as it could be. And here they were in stocks at midnight. What did they do? They started to sing. There was a song at midnight from that inner dungeon at Philippi because Paul and Silas, living their best in Jesus Christ, they knew they could sing a song in the night because everything was all right between God and between them. I think back when I was at school at Cap University, there was a young lad that sang on the glee club with me I again, first name was Paul. And again, his last name was Freiburg. Maybe you know him. Paul Freiburg, a friend of mine in school, because, again, there was the aim of his life to be a foreign missionary, to go to some foreign field, and there to live as Christ would have him live that the heathen might through him learn to love his Lord. And I was thinking of Paul Freiburg because when Christmas came, he remained over, and as you know, a lot of the Capital University kids, they go out and they teach Sunday school in the various institutions around Columbus and they preach. And Paul and his fiancée at the time, they remained over Christmas and went to one of our institutions in Columbus and they, he preached that morning so that they might hear the Christmas story. He was on the way back to Capital University and in the meantime... Again, things became desperately icy, and his car slipped. 
and the car hit a telephone pole, his girl flew out of the car, she hit her head on the curb, and he told me, he said, I sat there, I held her in my arms, and I took my overcoat off and I put it on her, and he said, she died right in my arms, and nobody was there. But he was able to sing a song in the night. Everything was all right.